Good evening, everybody. This is your host on Valley Writers Read, Franz Weinschenk. Delighted to welcome you to another edition of our program where only Valley residents get to read their stories. And tonight, an author from Visalia that we've had on many times, Janet Nichols Lynch. She'll be reading a story of hers entitled Free Will about a young woman named Maureen who seems to have two adoring men around her all the time, along with Audrey, her few-months-old baby. Here she is, Janet Nichols Lynch reading Free Will. Will. On this bright Saturday morning in June, Maureen Walsh pulls into St. Joseph's Church of San Jose and parks next to the only other vehicle in the lot, her ex-husband Jack Walsh's truck and trailer. Maureen walks from the parking lot, swinging the wicker basket, which holds her six-month-old daughter, Audrey. She feels the sun on her face, the rhythmic slap of her waist-length copper braid against her back, the ground smell of dank, overturned earth and mowed grass, the tip-off that Jack has finished his work. Maureen smiles to herself, thinking of her plan to drop a little bomb on him, just to see if it will tear him up any. The baby's father is not Jack, but Patrick Mooney, a Stanford medical student ten years younger than Maureen, who lives in the apartment downstairs from hers. Before Audrey came along, Maureen, Jack, and Patrick were all friends, members of St. Joseph's Church and its contemporary Christian rock group, the Loaves and Fishes. Now there's still all those things. Nothing's really changed, Maureen thinks in frustration, and yet it all feels so different. She peers into the basket, doting over the sleeping child. The basket set was a gift for Maureen's mother, Julia Kearney, who sewed the custom-fit mattress, pillow, and blanket out of matching yellow bunny material. Audrey owns a lot of yellow. Maureen refused amniocentesis. She had faith, considering what she went through, that her child would be nothing less than perfection, of which sex it didn't matter. Her mom didn't speak to Maureen for the entire pregnancy, but on the day Audrey was born, she arrived at the hospital with the basket set. Maureen lets herself into the church, sets Audrey's basket on the carpet near the altar, and says hi to Jack waiting in the front pew. He wears rectangular wire rim shades and has a slim goatee and a ponytail. He is a gardener by occupation and a trumpet player by aspiration. Jack walks to the altar and stands over the wicker basket, devouring Audrey with his eyes. He is her godfather, and he was Maureen's emergency Lamaze coach. Patrick was trained for the job, but when Maureen went into labor, he was in the midst of final exams, and it's nearly impossible to make up a missed exam, 
in pre-med. Jack squats, his knees cracking on the way down, and Audrey throws up her arms in her sleep, then slowly lowers them. She's conducting again, he whispers excitedly. It's the startle reflex. Conducting. Hey, you know, I'm going to pay for her music lessons, and she's not taking the prissy piano. It'll be sax, or hey, Mo, can't you just see Odd and some jazz trio taking the drum solo? Maureen tries to smile, but she only manages to raise the right corner of her mouth, which uncontrollably twitches. Audrey doesn't need music lessons. She needs a father. Jack and Maureen get down to work. Maureen strides quickly in and out of the vestibule, carrying altar linens and floral arrangements. Jack starts the vacuum cleaner, which wakes Audrey. She lies quietly, wide-eyed, listening to the drone. When Jack switches the vacuum off, she begins to sob in jagged cries. He holds her and paces. Her brimming eyes track Maureen as she hastily coils the vacuum cleaner cord. Maureen takes Audrey from Jack, and they all settle in the pew. Maureen pulls up her T-shirt and unfastens the cup of her nursing bra. This seems to affect Jack no more than if she extracted a bottle from the diaper bag. Although, when Jack first saw Audrey at Maureen's breast, at a loaves and fishes potluck, his face grew long and pallid, and then he vanished for the evening. It looks good, said Maureen, admiring the altar. They should dump St. Joe. He's looking so crumbly. Oh, no, he can be repaired. How many times do you think Steve can crazy glue his big toe back on? asked Jack. Steve is their 28-year-old pastor. He's got character. During her pregnancy, Maureen often prayed before the statue. She admires St. Joseph because when Mary showed up big as a house for a date, explaining about her immaculate conception and all, he stuck around, married and took care of her and the baby, whether he bought her story or not. For this, Maureen thinks he ought to be patron saint of unwed mothers or really nice guys. Let's go get a burger, says Jack. I'm not sure I have time. I've got some jobs to get out. Maureen works at home as a freelance graphic artist, mostly designing home open flyers for realtors on the latest computer Jack just had to have while claiming that they couldn't afford to have a child just yet. The just yet and resolve about until death do us part are what kept Maureen in the marriage 12 years. She pulls a burp cloth out of the diaper bag, flings it over her shoulder, and lays Audrey on it. I also told Mom I'd swing by. How is Mom? Maureen presses her lips together in a wry smile. She still has her moments. Once when she dropped by with Audrey unexpectedly, she found her mother watering the lawn, tossing her head and ranting, if that son of a gun hadn't. At least the bastard should have. When Maureen came through the gate, her mom turned the hose on her. Maureen scrunched her shoulder to her face and swung Audrey out of the spray, pondering whether her mom was thinking of Jack or Patrick. So what do you want to do, he asks. Maureen takes a deep breath and releases her bomb. I want an annulment. Jack's eyebrows shoot up over his glasses. Don't tell me you're going to marry the little twerp. The folks won't go for it. They'll cut him off. 
the folks is what Patrick calls his parents, who live back east and pay his tuition and expenses. Nothing's for sure, but, oh, then you're just going to do this to hurt me. Right, Jack, you're the victim in all of this. You got some other guy waiting in the wings? Maureen merrily scowls. He knows the answer to that one. He has known her since she was Miss Goody Two-Shoes in the first desk, first row of their first grade class. And the only two things she has ever done that were anything less than prim, proper, and predictable were to divorce him and have Audrey. I want to be free to marry when the time comes. You are free. That's what divorce is. Jack hooks a finger over the top of his glasses and slides them partway down his nose. He has cobalt blue eyes, which Maureen thinks are stunning. He knows this about her. He says, and I think you're a hypocrite. To refuse me a child 12 years, you've got gall. Jack pokes the nose piece of his glasses back into place and jerks his head away, but not before Maureen can read shock in the depths of his eyes. An annulment, he breathes out, as if we never were. Of course we were. It's just a formality. She's got a man's name, if that's what's worrying you. Jack looks so smug, Maureen punches his arm. You haven't any right to lay claim on either of us. I'm Odd's godfather, aren't I? You and me go way back. He stretches his arm out in emphasis. Maureen feels a sinking down movement in the pit of her being. Jack is winning this argument, and she can't fathom how. How has he always managed to have things his way? She knows he has girlfriends and probably sleeps with that Jenny one who sings in Crown of Glory. She offers lamely, Well, don't you ever want to get married again? Jack holds his palms up. How should I know? Expect me to plan out my whole life on the spot? Maureen thinks, I'm sick to death of you. She says, I'm sick of this place, all the looks I'd get. I'd like to go someplace where everyone doesn't know my life story. Ah, now this church is your support group. What Jack says is true. Still, she feels alone in this. She and Odd, alone against the world, like the song. Maureen points to the statue of St. Joseph. Support group, ha, a team of one. And he's a dead man. Audrey spits up all over Jack's arm. Maureen's plan of attack has failed, her chance for change gone. She gropes in the diaper bag and hands Jack a clean cloth. He mops up and grins at her. So, ready? Off to Burger King? My place. I have some stuff from the deli I should use up. When they walk into her kitchen, Patrick greets them with hay. Maureen is surprised yet happy to find him still laboring over her leaky faucet. With the back of his hand, he rubs his thin nose, which comes to two delicate pink peaks at the end. He looks so sweet. Maureen used to call him baby boy, but stopped once she realized Audrey was on the way. I've torn this damn thing apart and put it together three times and it still leaks. Hey, man, did you replace the washer? If Jack is disgruntled about Patrick's presence, he is careful not to show it. Patrick blinks several times. His lashes are blonde, nearly translucent. What's a washer? I learned about them from Mr. Rogers when I was a kid, said Maureen. He had a show all about them. Jack laughs. 
I'm sure I've got the right size in my toolkit. He goes out, the screen slamming behind him. Patrick begins to lather his greasy hands. You guys were doing it again. What? No, we weren't. I mean it about Mr. Rogers. I learned a lot from that show. I know when you two are making fun of me. Just stop. Go say hello to your daughter. Maureen watches recognition slowly dawn on his face, as if he has just remembered whom she means. Patrick once admitted that he thinks of Audrey as Maureen's baby, the child of a close friend. On their first night together, she warned him that she would not use contraceptives, that 12 years of waiting for a child got her a divorce and nearly too old to bear a child. Patrick made love to her anyway, which she thought meant he wanted a child too. Later, she thought that what he wanted was her, was that desperate to have her. Now she fears he was just that desperate. Patrick wipes his hands on a dish towel and pivots around to peer nonchalantly into Audrey's basket set on the table. Damn, I wasted the whole morning on this sink. He sucks in air, pauses. Sorry, but I'm going to have to cancel out on you tomorrow afternoon. I've got to study. What? Maureen throws her hands up. But you promised to take Audrey. I checked way ahead with you, weeks ahead. You know I've been looking forward to this concert. Can't help it. You know what happened at the last exam. Maureen explodes. Fine. It's a habit she inherited from her mother, vehemently spitting out the word when she means its opposite. She hates when her mom does it. She hates herself for doing it. She opens the refrigerator, loads her arms with sandwich fixings, kicks the door shut, even as she is aware that Patrick is behind her, waiting his turn at the fridge. Patrick opens it, shuffles jars and bottles around, and then straightens. Don't you have any beer? Maureen doesn't answer. I'll take that as a no. I'm going down to my place to get some. He walks to the door, then hesitates, his hand on the knob. Okay, I'll sit for Audrey. If you can get her to go down before you leave. There's no predicting. I like to be sure I can deliver before I make promises. Maureen, go on, get the beer. Going out, Patrick passes Jack coming in. Got it. Jack flips the washer off his thumb and catches it midair. He goes to the sink, unscrews the nozzle of the faucet. What are you doing tomorrow afternoon, Maureen asks. Not much. Some chores around the house. There's an A's game on. Jack digs the old washer out with a screwdriver. Looky here. Rotted away to nothing. What's up? You got an extra ticket to that folk music festival thing? Ah, uh, no. Can you babysit Audrey? I thought Pat was going to do it. Now he says he has to study. Maybe your mom could take her. Jack turns the tap on and off and the faucet no longer leaks. How do you live to be 26 years old and not know what a washer is? Let up on Patrick. He's got problems of his own. I'd say it's his future patients who've got problems. Jack picks up a knife and acts out an operation. He parts the opening of his imaginary patient and peers in. Gosh, what is all this junk in here? I sure wish I'd seen the Mr. Rogers on body parts. Maureen uses the back of her hand to stifle a giggle, then decides to let it loose. She can use a good laugh. How does a little twerp ever expect to be a doctor? That sobers Maureen. He doesn't, I don't think. 
Not anymore. She bites her lower lip, trying to decide if she should confide in Jack. He's flunking out. Whoa. Jack purses his lips. She can see the wheels turning. She stares hard at his forehead, as if it would enable her to read his thoughts. I'd love to take Audrey tomorrow. Gee, thanks. It's just that I promised myself I'd get that damn caulking done. Maureen lets her shoulders drop, her chest cave in. So watching an A's game in peace is more important to him than helping her out. So Jack is a selfish jerk. What else is new? She goes over to look at Audrey, who's holding her hand close to her face and studying it. Oh, you. I wanted you. I got you. When you're bigger, we'll go to lots of concerts together, won't we, Odkin? Patrick returns with the beer, sets it on the table, and pours Maureen her milk. She finishes making the sandwiches, and Jack rips open a bag of chips and dumps them in a bowl. The three of them attack the meal, talking and laughing. Patrick asks, what's for dessert? Strawberries. The huge genetically deranged ones or the good old-fashioned sweet ones? Sweets for the sweet. Patrick is sweet. The sweetest, most even-tempered man Maureen has ever met. She kisses him. Kind of a fun thing to do in front of Jack. She gets up to par the stems out of the strawberries. Patrick and Jack's conversation shifts to baseball. Patrick is a Giants fan, and Jack is for the A's. Maureen tunes out the words so that their talk hums in her ears like distant surf. She likes the murmuring of their familiar voices, the space their bodies fill in her small kitchen. Too much of the time, she is here alone with Audrey, with only TV kid shows for company. Maureen is about halfway through the strawberries when a loud rumbling erupts from Audrey's bowels. Hey, Mo, said Jack. I think Audrey may need changing. Patrick sniffs tentatively. Yeah, she does. Perfect timing. Maureen looks over at Audrey, who is already writhing with discomfort, and happens to notice the horrified expressions on the men's faces. She flashes on the commercial for the brand of beer they are drinking, in which an outdoorsy, iron-pumped hunk rock climbs, hang glides, and skydives. Yet if he were sitting at her kitchen table, he too would probably cower in the face of a diaper change. Audrey begins to whimper softly. Maureen tries to work faster. Hang on a minute, she says, her voice tense. Over her shoulder, she gives Patrick and Jack killing looks. Patrick reluctantly stands and slides the wicker basket toward him. I'll get it. Jack stands. No, me. No problem. He lifts Audrey out of the basket and lies her on his broad palms, her feet kicking his forearms. I said I'd take care of it. Patrick grabs Audrey under the arms, his thumb supporting her neck, and slips her off Jack's hand so quickly. By the time Jack tightens his grasp, he's down to her ankles. When the forward motion of the baby abruptly stops, Patrick loses his grip on her. He fumbles. Maureen only remembers standing at the counter. Now her elbows throb in pain, and her breasts and stomach are smashed against the table. Her arms and palms are extended to make the catch. After what seems to be a very long time, she hears the knife she was holding clatter to the floor behind her. Maureen, 
wrenching her neck to peer upward, sees Audrey safe, suspended above her. The men are glaring at each other over the baby. Pat grips her by the armpits. Jack's hands are like steel bands on her ankles, and neither of them are willing to let her go. They remind Maureen of the story about King Solomon in which he threatened to cut a baby in half because two women each claimed him. The only difference is that neither Jack nor Patrick wants Audrey. Hand her over, Maureen commands in a low-pitched tone. The men hesitate a second, and she roars, Now! They lower Audrey into Maureen's waiting arms. Maureen scoops her daughter up against her breast, squeezes her eyes shut and trembles. She pictures the absolute worst, the horror of Audrey's cranium smashed, the back of her head flattened, her crystal blue eyes staring up at her as unseen as a doll. And she ponders what darling little outfit she would choose to dress Audrey in to lie in her laced-edged white satin casket and... She can't help it. She can't stop herself. She decides on the white cotton dress with the tiny blue birds embroidered on the hem. And only then her mind goes blank. She slowly straightens and glares at the men with narrowed eyes. Get out, both of you. We weren't going to drop her, Patrick whines defensively. We were both holding on to her the whole time. Jack releases air between his teeth. Yeah, Mo. We were both trying to help out and just happened to reach for Odd at the same time. Let me fix her up now. Jack extends his arms, but Maureen swings the baby out of his reach, eyeing him wearily. Lighten up, Mo. We were having a good time here. Patrick forces a chuckle. Yeah, hon. We were just going to have our strawberries. Maureen starts to set Audrey back in her wicker basket, but finds she can't let her go. She holds her against her shoulder with one hand and plops strawberries into two bowls with the other. She dumps the contents of the sugar bowl onto Patrick's portion and sets it before him. She drops the other bowl before Jack from such a height that half the berries bounce onto the table on impact. Maureen sets Audrey in her basket and hooks the diaper bag over her shoulder. Maureen, Patrick begins plaintively, Geez, honey, don't go away, Matt. Ah, go on. Jack tips his chair back rakishly. We don't need any guilt trips here. Go running off to St. Joseph. Keep going all the way to St. Joseph, Missouri for all we care. Right, Pat? Maureen slams the back door behind her. The stifling midday heat hits her like a wave. It's hard to breathe. She clatters down the stairs, changes Audrey in the car, and drives off. The trees, houses, and street signs blur. Her mind races on to the cool, inviting sanctity of the church, the soothing proximity of that dear man, St. Joseph. By the time she arrives, Audrey is asleep. She gets out of the car with the basket and walks toward the three wide steps of the church. The front doors fling open, and Father Steve, dressed in jeans and just-say-yes-to-the-Lord t-shirt, walks out backward, wiggling his fingers in a keep-coming motion. Two workmen follow closely behind, carrying on their shoulders like pallbearers the statue of St. Joseph. Oh, exclaims Maureen, a little repair job? 
Not this time, said Steve. I'm afraid the old boy has suffered one too many attacks of gout. He's off to the home for retired statues. Maureen watches the short procession pass her, imagining the beloved statue being loaded into a waiting ambulance. She turns her head to see the workers heave it into a dump truck. On impact, the brittle plaster shatters, a sound which seems to vibrate within her own spine. She sinks to the curb, Audrey's basket touching down first. The two men get into the truck and drive away. Steve sits next to her. I'm sorry you had to see that, Marine. I know what the statue meant to you. Oh, Steve, I'm having a bad day. Jack and Patrick got into fooling around with Audrey and nearly dropped her. Jack and I had a fight. He won't grant me an annulment. A spouse doesn't grant an annulment. The bishop does. Yeah, well, I want Jack to do it. I want Jack to take responsibility for one damn thing that happens in our lives. We can set up another counseling session. We'll work it out. Jack is basically a good man. Maureen groans. I'm sick to death of Jack, of Patrick, too. I can understand that. Pray about it, Maureen. I was going to, until you hauled off St. Joe. Don't worry. We're getting a nice new plexiglass job. Already, I don't like the nice new plexiglass job. Steve chuckles. For that matter, you don't even need a statue. St. Joseph can be anywhere. That and Jack's parting shot give Maureen an idea for a new plan. Where's the home for retired statues? City dump. Steve looks apologetic. Once a statue is desanctified, it's just plaster again. Desanctified? You can do that? He nods. Sure. It's kind of like an annulment. Maureen visits her parents and stays for dinner, just so she won't have to go back to her own apartment where Jack or Patrick might go looking for her. Passing the roast beef between her mother and father, Maureen makes the mistake of mentioning Patrick's difficulties in med school. Her mom's eyes snap, her wrinkled face lists in hope. Perhaps it's God's will you two could get married. Maureen's dad keeps his bald head bent over his plate and chews faster. He would rather chew than talk any day. Perhaps if you wrote Patrick's mother. I don't think so, said Maureen. They're the grandparents. They'd want to know they have a grandchild. I'd certainly want to know. Maureen puts down her fork. She wants to grab Audrey and bolt. More and more, she feels that her mother cares less about her and Audrey and more about what people think. Excuse me. Maureen goes to change Audrey, although for once, Audrey doesn't need changing. In her girlhood bedroom, Maureen takes the magnifying glass out of her desk and manages to smuggle it out of the house in the diaper bag without her mother asking any questions. It is after 10 when Maureen, in her nightgown, finishes feeding Audrey and lays her stomach down in the center of the double bed. She goes to her desk, turns on the intensity lamp, spreads a United States atlas before her, and takes up a purple magic marker in one hand and the magnifying glass in the other. She works so intently that her eyes water. Honey? Patrick's voice is soft and tentative, close to her right shoulder. Maureen jumps. She slaps her palm over the circle she has drawn on Louisiana. 
God, don't sneak up on me like that. Sorry, thought you heard me come in. I can't concentrate. I just feel so bad about what happened with Audrey. It's okay. Jack was right. I overreacted. And I'll take care of her tomorrow afternoon. That's sweet, Pat, but it won't be necessary. I insist, even if I have to study all night. Maureen smiles up at him, leaning forward to hide the atlas. Thanks. Be here round two. Okay. Where have you been all day, anyway? The church. Dinner at Mom's. Hmm. He stuffs his hands into his jeans pockets, hangs his head. I didn't get any dinner. Well, you got your strawberries, he chuckles, with a tad too much sugar. He kisses her, but she turns her head so that his lips brush her ear. He looks rebuffed, but she can't help it. She has nothing left to offer him. Can I have the leftover strawberries? Sure, take them with you. There's roast beef sandwiches. Mom sent them. So it turns out she does have something to give him. It's even something he wants. She hears him rattling around the refrigerator and then locking her back door. He has gone only a few minutes when her cell phone rings. She moves on to Michigan as she answers. Look, Mo, said Jack. I'll babysit tomorrow. What time do you want me to be there? No, listen. No, you listen. I want you to have a good time. Whatever you say, Jack. Be here around two. Maureen hangs up, smiling to herself, imagining the men showing up at the same time, finding her and Audrey long gone. Jack and Patrick can babysit each other. Of course she won't be ready to just up and leave by then. She has to settle her affairs, lay her plans. She's just discovering how many options she has. St. Joseph, Louisiana. St. Joseph, Michigan. St. Joseph, Missouri. Where exactly she and Audrey start their new life together doesn't really matter. They'll have each other. That's the important thing. And the one man Maureen can depend on, St. Joseph, he'll be there too. Tell me again, Mommy. You and me against the world Sometimes it feels like you and me against the world And for all the times we've cried I always felt that God was on our side
That was Janet Nichols Lynch reading Free Will, and with a lot of other things she seems to have found out about herself, Maureen is beginning to realize that she really can't get along with neither her own parents nor the two men who seem to love and care for her, one being the father of her baby. And so, as we heard, she commences to search the whole country over for a new place for her and baby Audrey to try to start life all over again. Friends, Janet Nichols Lynch is the author of ten books, including My Beautiful Hippie, a coming-of-age story set in San Francisco's Haight-Ashbury district during the Summer of Love in 1967. Her novel, Racing California, is a fictional account of the 800-mile pro-cycling race called The Tour of California. And Janet's other novels include Peace is a four-letter word. Chest pains, addicted to her, and messed up, which was awarded the American Library Association's Quick Pick for Reluctant Readers Award. Janet was born in Sacramento and graduated with a B.A. in music from Sacramento State. After completing her Master of Music degree in piano from Arizona State, she earned an M.F.A. in creative writing from Fresno State. She's taught music, English, and history at De Anza College, Skyline College, College of the Squires, and El Diamante High School. She lives in Visalia with her husband, composer Timothy Lynch. And if that isn't enough, she actually competes in marathons and triathlons and practices the piano every single day. Wow, what a fantastic life. And so we come to the close of another edition of Valley Writers Read. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear tonight's or any other Valley Writers Read program again, just go online at kvpr.org and click on to Valley Writers Read. Next week, I'll be reading a story of mine. In the meantime, this is your host, Franz Weinschenk, wishing you and yours a great life story until we meet again. Good night. Valley Writers Read is a production of Valley Public Radio produced by Don Weaver and Franz Weinschenk. Please join us again next Wednesday at 7 p.m. for another edition of Valley Writers Read. <laughs>